thing he's going to do in chapter 23 is gather all the leadership, all the elders. He's going to gather the, the captains. He's going to gather anybody who is leading for him. And he's going to pass some things on to them. In chapter 24, he's going to gather all the people together and, and give them encouragement as well. And as we take a look, the, the, the first thing that he wants to tell them and wants to make sure they understand is it's God who fought for them. One of the biggest struggles we'll ever have in our Christian walk is understanding and holding on to the concept that God is the one who gave us a victory. Because uh, after a few years of victory or some time of pros- uh, prosperity, we begin to think that it was us. It was our ideas. It was our plan. It was, it was the concepts that we built in our mind or our courage to walk through it. And we can begin, as we'll see in the next book that we study, to drift away from the Lord and be placing our trust in men, in ourselves. Jeremiah would lay out for us, cursed is a man who puts his faith in man but blessed is a man who puts his faith in god so we want to always maintain always hold on to it and the other thing is joshua's not taking any credit here right this is their leader he's the one who just went through and whooped everybody that he needed to whoop in canaan to get them into the land and it's his final next to final time he's going to speak at all But he wants to make sure that they understand it was the Lord who fought for you. It was God who did the work. It was God who who gave you the victory. In verse 4 he says, See, I have divided to you by lot the nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as a great sea westward. Now that, that section, that last section we went through, the inheritance and dealing with the land, took 13 years for that to be accomplished. So we studied it much quicker in 13 years. We did well going through it. But as we look <coughs> in verse 5, he's really going to lay out the, some keys for them to grasp onto. Listen, and the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight, so you shall possess the land. Listen, This is how God still works, still moves today. What is it? He said, God will expel them, but you must possess. God will expel them, but you must possess. The people were to come and possess the land, possess the things that God had given them. Now, for you and I, the Bible declares to us in Ephesians chapter 1 that we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. It's already ours. God has already won the victory. He's already expelled the enemy, but it's up to you and I to walk in that victory. To choose to walk in that which God has already promised, that God has already gifted us with. So we want to walk in that. And in verse 6 he says how to do it. Listen, therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law. When we understand that, when the scripture talks about keeping, a lot of times our mind will will turn to the idea of doing. But it's not the same. When the scripture says that we're to keep the word of God, that means that we're to treasure the word of God, that the word of God has value to us, that it's like a treasure that we keep, we hold on to, we keep it close, we keep it tight. It's ours. 
Now he says, keep it, treasure the word, and do the word. Don't just be hearers only, but doers also. Those who will apply what God's word lays out for them. But before we can ever do it, you have to treasure it. You have to value the word of God. You look at the word of God and you start making excuses. That doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to me. That doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't need to worry about that. Then I promise you will not do it. Because you're not keeping it. You're not treasuring the word. You're not holding the word of God close. You're not pulling it in and saying, hey man, I need to hold on to this. And really, if we want to understand one of the main things, one of the main issues that we need to hold on to in order to walk with God and experience that victorious Christian life is right there. Treasure the word of God. Treasure the word of God. Treasure and act leads to obedience to the Lord, a walking a, a, a life of obedience, treasuring what God has laid out for us. Now, verse 7, he goes on. Or lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or the left, unless you go among these nations, those who remain among you, and you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. The second thing he tells them to do, treasure the word of God. The second thing is keep yourself separate. Keep yourself separate. The biggest struggle for the nation of Israel from this point forward is wanting to be just like everybody else. Yeah. God said to the nation of Israel, I want you to be a kingdom of priests that people can come to and see that you are different from everything else and the relationship that you have with the one true most high God. That that they're going to want a desire to see that, to come from all over and, and and witness it. But the people... That God called to be that kingdom of priests just wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to sin like everybody else sinned. They wanted to do the things everybody else was doing. Well, Lord, everybody else is <coughs> worshiping all these other gods. And they get to participate in all these things that look like so much fun. But we don't get to do that. And so that becomes a major struggle for the children of Israel. So Joshua in this in this farewell uh, uh, sermon or speech to them he says listen keep yourself separate don't even say the name of their gods don't even speak it <coughs> don't even think about it a lot of times i have people come to me and a lot of times i see especially in 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 guys who are are moving forward the lord this desire to really understand the cults and they want to study all the cults but you had no business studying the cults until you know what you believe. Until you understand what the Word of God teaches. You don't go out to learn about a counterfeit by studying the counterfeit bill. You learn about the counterfeit by dealing with or handling the real. And when the counterfeit comes, you can see this isn't the real deal. So we want to be those people who are staying separate, staying focused on what God has for us staying separated from the world listen james tells us in james 127 that pure and undefiled religion is this right he goes on to say to keep oneself unspotted from the world a lot of times we remember the the phrase that speaks about visiting widows and orphans in their need 
And we forget about keep oneself unspotted from the world. What is James saying? Keep yourself separate. Aren't we called to be a kingdom of priests, even as the nation of Israel was? Sure, Scripture lays out that that's what we are. That we have become a, a holy nation, set apart to the Lord. And if we aren't careful, we will fail in exactly the same ways that they did. We need to remember, don't even <coughs> make mention. Don't play around with them. Don't keep the idols in your room. Don't put them on the shelf. Don't slide them in your CD case. Don't put them on your iPod. Don't put them in your movies. Don't keep them with the other DVDs. Keep yourself separate. Be who God's calling you to be. A lot of people in their life struggle, 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 constantly struggling with being and doing what God wants them to do, but they keep all this garbage around them. Well, for them, they kept idols all around them, and all those idols were always wooing them to some other thing. But here, Joshua said, just keep yourself separate. Don't just be like everybody else. Be different. Be different. Be holy. Be righteous. Follow the Lord with your whole heart. So the second thing he tells us, be separate from the world. And then in verse 8, the third thing. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. The third thing he tells them, cling to God. Not just don't mention the idols. Not just work on clearing out all that stuff and keeping yourself separate. He says, keep yourself separate and cling to God. Keep yourself separated and cling to him. We're going to read in Ruth, and in in, in as soon as we finish uh, the book of Judges, where Ruth makes this declaration to Naomi, and she says, Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. What's Ruth saying? I am going to utterly, totally, completely be committed to you. It's a great picture of what it is to cling to the Lord. So here Joshua says, not just stay separate, not just keep yourself unspotted from the world, but cling to God. Do something positive. <clears throat> when we are clinging to God, you know, it's a lot more difficult to do all that other garbage that pulls you away. When, we cling and, when we're clinging to Him. In verse 9 he says, why? For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Whenever I get into uh, First and Second Samuel and I start reading about David and Jonathan, and we come to that time period when Jonathan puts to flight the, the Philistines, what does he say? He says to his armor bearer, Hey, the Lord can deliver my... Few or many. He doesn't need that whole army. Let's you and I go over there and see what will happen. And so they went. And God put to flight the thousand by the one. The one who was faithful to stand in the power of the Lord. In his might. And not in his own. The one who was willing to step out and say, Hey, I'm going to cling to the Lord. He'll give us the victory. And Jonathan stepped out. <clears throat> and wins the victory. So one man will put to chase a thousand. 
keep in mind for your life, you plus God equals a majority. You don't really need anything else. You plus God equals a majority. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that, the, that you love the Lord your God. The fourth thing that he lays out. Love the Lord your God. When we, when we, we want to really break down, what is it that God wants for me? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what God wants. That you choose to love him with all of your ability. The fourth thing that Joshua says, love God. Love God. Treasure God's word. Don't even mention those false gods. Stay separate. Cling to the Lord God and love him. Joshua gives them these four points and tells them that this is the way to victory. This is the way to experience the victory that God has for us. In verse 12 he says, Or else if indeed you do not, or you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, uh, these that remain that uh, remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they uh, and they to you. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they will become snares and traps and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. He says, now, if you continue to go back, if you go back and, and, and start to say, I'm not going to be separate. I'm not going to treasure the word of God. I'm not going to cling to God. I'm not going to love him. Then this is what he says that you'll experience. Snares, traps, scourges, and thorns in your eyes. He's laying out for us that there's going to be defeat. And in that defeat, you're also going to have discomfort. Defeat, discomfort. And finally, displacement. You'll be out of the land. For you and I, we can experience defeat, we can experience discomfort, and we can experience displacement. Although we're not outside of the land that God's promised us, we're standing outside of the blessings that God's bestowed upon us. For all the blessings we have already under the heavenlies in our relationship with Christ... But if we are drifting away, if we are falling back, if we've turned our back and continue to go back, then we're going to experience defeat and we're going to experience that, the, the pain and discomfort that comes along with it and displaced. We'll feel like I don't have no place in this world. Where do I fit? I don't fit in the world. I don't fit out of the world because I'm trying to live in two places at once. I'm not experiencing all that God has for us. So what do I do? How do I get back to that place? Treasure the word of God. And do it. Don't even mix. Stay separate. Don't even mention those other things that you know you ought not to mention. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Cling to God and love him with all your heart. You're going to stay on track. (coughs) But as soon as I start looking... I start looking at the other gods, all the other nations, at the things other people are doing, then that's going to become a snare. It's going to become a trap. It's going to become thorn in my eyes, and I'll be displaced. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls 
that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. So Joshua reminded them, hey, everything God said he would do, he did. Everything God promised us, he did. He chased them out. He emptied out the land. He provided for us. And he wants them to remember. We need to remember the things that God's done for us, the victories that God's given us. It's so easy, it's so easy to get your eyes on the giants and say, this is too big. Problems are too strong. And we start sounding like the ten spies way back at the beginning who said, we can't go because all I can see is a giant. We want to sound like Joshua and Caleb because they didn't see the giants because they saw God. That was their focus. And that's what Joshua is trying to remind them. Remember the things that God's done, the victories that God has given you. (coughs) Hold on to those victories. Allow those victories to encourage you and establish you. In verse 15, therefore it shall come to pass... That as all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. He says, hey, just the same way that God has been good, God can turn his back. And as we study through the prophets, and especially at the time of the splitting of the kingdom, that's what we'll see. The Lord will say, you've turned your back on me, I'll turn my back on you. The Lord will say to the people, don't even pray to me anymore. You pray to all those false gods you're holding on to. See if they'll save you. I'm not listening anymore. I don't ever want to get to that place with the Lord. I don't want to find that in my life. Listen, God promised the nation of Israel the land. It's theirs forever. Genesis chapter 15. Take a look at it anytime you want. God said, the land is yours forever. That's a long time, right? Forever. It's yours. But he also said, you don't have to live there. (coughs) If you disobey me, the land's still yours, but you won't be there. You'll be somewhere else. And the Lord also promised, in the midst of all that, God said... You're going to mess up. Moses said, you're going to mess up. Joshua said, you're going to mess up. But listen, I'll be faithful and bring you back. One day you're going to turn your eyes on me. One day you're going to recognize the truth. You're going to come to me with your whole heart. Not a divided heart anymore. And I'll bring you back into the land. And that day, folks, will come. But that day will not come until Jesus Christ returns. When he sets up his kingdom, that's when they'll all come back into the land. Right now, there are more Jews in New York City than there are in Israel. The dispersion hasn't ended. They're still to the four corners of the earth. And they definitely have not turned to the Lord with an understanding and reckoning that he is Almighty God. But the day will come. God is patient. He'll work that out. And so here, as Joshua says, listen, if you do this, God will put you out just like he put those other people out. And that's what we're going to see happening as we continue to go on through the history. 
Now, when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, did you see that? Then say, if you transgress, what do he say? When you, you're going to mess up. You're going to get off track. And you have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. So that's what we'll see as we go on through First and Second Samuel. We'll see that come to its culmination. But here Joshua has all the leadership gathered together. And he says, listen, this is what is coming. This is what is happening. Here's the secret to success. Keep the word of God. Treasure it. Do it. Be separate from the world. Cling to God and love Him with all your heart. And you'll have success. But if you turn toward what the world offers, then you're going to struggle, fall, and God's going to put you out of the land. So he has his leadership meeting first in chapter 23. (coughs) And then in chapter 24 it says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, And he called for the elders of Israel, their heads, their judges, and their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Then Joshua said to all the people. So Joshua now turns his attention to the whole congregation. He gathers them. I've given the leaders the direction, but now I'm going to talk to the people. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. That means that what we're reading from this point forward is what the Bible calls prophecy. How did he begin what he said? Thus saith the Lord. But you know what? None of this is future or predictive prophecy. All of it is history. See, that's how we realize, we come to understand that prophecy does not only mean speaking forth the future. Prophecy is speaking forth the word of God, what God lays on your heart to give. This is what God laid on Joshua's heart. Thus saith the Lord. Read all the prophets. That's how they start too. Thus saith the Lord. Here comes Joshua. Thus saith the Lord of Israel. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abram, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, And they what? Served other gods. So here he begins with a history lesson. Now, if you were to go to the rabbis at the wall in Israel and ask them about Abraham, they would say that Abraham served God even from his youth. While everyone else in his house served false gods, Abraham was serving the true God. But that's not what the word says, is it? The word says that they were serving idols. That they were idolatrous. In fact, a little more careful study will tell you that they were worshiping or, or uh, um, coming before the moon god. He had a name. Mohammed brought that name around. He needed to centralize all the gods of the Middle Eastern culture into one god. So he chose the moon god. His name? Allah. 
And so here we see that that they, they were caught up in idolatry. And through the Spirit, Joshua tells us something that we haven't read yet. You're not going to find that in Genesis at the call of Abraham. You can find it here when Joshua recites the history and says, Thus saith the Lord. (coughs) Was Abraham a Jew? No, there was no Jews then. Yeah, he called Abraham, he would be known as a Gentile. A Gentile called to the Lord. And a Gentile who, recognizing God's voice, was willing to leave all and follow him. No different than the rest of us. When we come to salvation with the Lord, the Bible tells us Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. How do you and I come to the Lord? We believe God and it's accounted unto us for righteousness. So they served other gods. And he says, Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Now, another thing I want you to notice. No mention of Ishmael. No mention of Hagar. No mention of the things they blew it on. Or the bad choices they made. The history where it says, thus saith the Lord, God focuses on the direction that they took in obedience to him. Why does he do that? Because as far as your sin is from the east, the east to the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. There's not the failure. There is simply that which we did for the Lord. That's what lasts. What we didn't, that just burns away. So to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, to Esau the mountains of Seir. (coughs) But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Now listen, which was the chosen? Esau or Jacob? Jacob was the chosen, right? And Esau got the mountains of Seir in a relatively easy time. Where'd Jacob go? To Egypt for what? 400 years of slavery. You know, in the... Fiddler on the Roof. One of the things I like in the Fiddler on the Roof is, is uh, I forget the fellow's name. Somebody probably knows him. But the main character in Fiddler on the Roof says, I wish God would choose a different people. I don't know. Being his chosen people is, is hard. Where do they go? Egypt for slavery. Wandering through the wilderness. I mean, there's a lot of things. But listen, our lives are no different If I had a nickel for every time somebody came to me and said, Jackie, why doesn't God just wipe out this struggle I have? Just make it go away. I mean, he can do it. Sure, he could do it, but you wouldn't learn anything. Why did the children of Israel go into captivity in Egypt? Well, part one, so that the iniquity of the Canaanites could be made complete. Part two, so that in Egypt they would grow. And how did they grow? In the furnace of affliction. And in the furnace of affliction, who did they call out on? God. And he sent a deliverer. And over and over and over again, you see the same thing. Mankind, when he is in times of prosperity, tends to lose sight of God, 
forget about God, struggle with his walk with God because he can do it all himself. But in adversity, we remember him. When the doctor says cancer, when the doctor tells us something or something happens that we can't control, where do we go? We call on the name of the Lord and look for our deliverer. Who's our deliverer? Jesus Christ. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take, your, take my yoke upon you. We put that yoke on us, what does that mean? Wherever I go, he's with me. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the furnace, who was with them? Jesus was there. If you and I are in the furnace, who's with us? Jesus. Why? We're yoked. I'm yoked with him. Jesus would say to you and I, it's you and me till the wheels fall off. Where you go, I go. So we need to hold on to that. Grasp a hold of it and say, listen, I'm going <coughs> to understand that even in the hard times, even when nothing works, even if my whole life is upside down, just barely above wretched from now to the day I die, and I live for 95 years and it's just wretched and horrible and stinks the entire time, that 95 years will be nothing compared to eternity with Jesus Christ. And we won't even give it a second thought for what we'll have with him. So we got to get our eyes off of all this garbage here and our eyes on our home. And this isn't it. This is not my house. It's just a place I live. One day it's all going to crumble. But the house that Jesus has been making for 2,000 years called the New Jerusalem, the place that he's developing for the bride of Christ, that'll never pass away. Ever. And if you do a little bit of careful study on it, you'll discover that the New Jerusalem is big enough to hold every human being who ever lived. I'm not saying every human being who ever lived will go there. I'm saying it's big enough. Because Jesus said, whosoever will can come. Whosoever will <coughs> can be a part. So when we look at the nation of Israel and we see that they went to Egypt because God was developing in them what they needed for the journey that was before them. And he could have brought them out of Egypt in 11 days, brought them to Kadesh Barnea and said, there's a promised land, let's go get it. But God took a year to get them to Kadesh Barnea. And every stop along the way, God taught them a lesson. He taught them about how he could deliver. He taught them about bitterness. He taught them about contention. He taught them about the different struggles that they were going to face. And after he had shown them all those things and gave them the law and, and bestowed upon them... His glory, that the, the glory that walked with him, the fire that was with him after he did all that. Then he took him to Kiddish. And they got to make a choice. I trust God or I don't. So as, as <coughs> the lessons are being laid out for us, he says in verse 5, Also I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt. According to what I did among them, afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came to the sea. What sea was that? Yeah, Red Sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. 
So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. I like how he says that. No mention about blowing it at Kadesh Barnea. No mention about unbelief. No mention about all that. You dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Forty years they wandered because they were not willing to believe that God would keep his promises. So he says, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, <coughs> arose to make war against Israel. And he sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. So there we have Balaam mentioned yet again. The prophet who would not obey the Lord, who would not follow him, and ultimately dies with the enemies of God. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you to drive, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites. But not with your sword or with your bow. You remember the Lord goes out and they're having this battle with the five kings and all of a sudden hailstones fall out of heaven remember and more people died from the hailstones the enemy than the the israelites killed with the sword or the bow god gave the victory what a trip that must have been to be in that battle see big old hundred pound hailstones falling out of heaven and crushing the enemies but not hitting any israelites pretty wild he says i sent the hornet god said that i'm gonna drive them out just like just like the picture of of a of a bunch of bees or hornets chasing somebody out of the land and they take off god says that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna scatter them and it's all gonna be yours all you have to do is be willing to step out no mention of ai no mention of the lost battles no mention of the sin of Achan, because god doesn't remember our sin the sin is gone. Just like you read Hebrews, the hall of faith. Try to find a failure in the hall of faith. You'll find some surprises. One of them being a, a judge that we'll read about in a few weeks named Samson. That he made it. Go figure. I have no idea how he did it. He did everything wrong. <coughs> Lot did everything wrong, but there he is. Because they believed God. They trusted in him. Well, he goes on in verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor. They didn't build none of them cities, did they? Cities which you did not build, and you will dwell in them. And you eat the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. They get the harvest. All that land was done. All that stuff is planted. All the cities are built. They just had to possess it. God says, you didn't have to do anything. I did it for you. Now, therefore... Listen, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, serve 
the Lord. <clears throat> As he's talking to the people, I don't want you to miss this, he's talking to the people. Fear the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is what? Beginning the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. That means we give unto God honor and respect that he is due. We pay unto God the honor and respect that he is due. That we revere him. That we revere the Lord. And then he says, serve him in sincerity and in truth. This is going to be a big problem for the people. Because they go through the ritual. In fact, when we study further on and we get into First and Second Kings, we'll see the people coming and offering their sacrifices. But just a few minutes ago, they offered one to Baal. But they're fulfilling the ritual. They're coming and doing the thing. But see, Joshua says, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. Be sincere. Be earnest about why you're serving the Lord. Because he's worthy of our praise. Because he's worthy of our service. Not because there's some twisted concept about, I'm going to make God happy by what I do for him. We can't please the Lord by works of the flesh. We please the Lord by our faith. But that doesn't mean God doesn't want us to serve him. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to come before him. Listen, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river. Why did he say that? Why did he tell them to put them away? Because they had them. They were on the shelf. They were in the houses already. Joshua is saying to them, as he's going to the Lord and the victory is done, and he can see disaster in the future because they're not following the Lord with their whole heart. They're not fearing God. And they're playing with the idols that their fathers carried around and died in the wilderness with. He says, put them away. Put away your idols. Put away the gods, the false gods that you want to serve. And serve the Lord. Focus on Him. Turn away from the garbage and focus on the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served <coughs> that were on the other side of the river... Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Choose this day. Apparently you have a choice to make. Or he wouldn't tell you to choose. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose this day. If you're going to do that, then do that. If you think it's evil to follow the Lord, then don't follow the Lord. But as far as I'm concerned, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's a pretty strong call to, to men to lead their family, by the way. Because Joshua didn't say, I'm going to give my kids a choice whether or not they want to go to church or whether or not they want to be a part of worshiping God. What did he say? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You live here, this is what you do. That doesn't necessarily change the heart. 
but it controls the house. As for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, (coughs) Far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us up. And our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in a way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So the people respond, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua leads. And the people respond. But look at what Joshua says next. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression nor your sins. He wants them to know, God only wants all of you. He don't want... One little piece, one little corner, one little part. They already were beginning to gather their gods. They were already beginning to gather their little idols. They were already laying the foot, the the, the foundation of failure already. And so Joshua is encouraging him, saying, Hey, God's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He's not going to share you with some other God or some other deity or some other idol or some other thing. For a man cannot serve two masters. Isn't that what Jesus said? He will love one and hate the other. That's a Hebrew idiom for he will choose one and reject the other. He will choose one and reject the other. And what did Joshua say? Choose this day. Who are you going to serve? If the Lord, then serve the Lord. If the Lord, then go after him with your whole heart. Remember what he told the leaders? Treasure the word of God. Do the things God has said. Reject the world. Cling to God and love him with your whole heart. So he wants the people to know, hey, God is holy. He's wholly different. He's wholly set apart. He's completely righteous and he's a jealous God. He wants it all. He wants it all. (coughs) All of you. All of me. In verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, then you are witnesses against yourselves. You have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said again, Put away the foreign gods which are among you. They already had them. Joshua knows they're in their house. Joshua knows that there's things that they have that they're living with and that they're allowing that are pulling them away from God. Is it any different for us? We need to lay down our idols. We need to lay down those things that that seek to separate us from God, to pull us away from what God wants to do. If we're going to follow Him, then let's follow Him with our whole heart, with everything, totally committed. 
Not just partially, not just going through the ritual. (coughs) So put away the gods that are in your house. And then he says, incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Incline, turn your heart to the Lord. Reject those gods, get them out of your house, and turn your heart to the Lord. The people don't do it. They don't do it. It's lip service. Lip service is easy, isn't it? I say anything that don't make it true. It don't make it so. Right here, they're, they're giving lip service. Just hold your finger here for a minute and turn to the right to Ezekiel chapter 14. In Ezekiel chapter 14, Ezekiel the prophet lays out a word of prophecy concerning similar situations going on with uh, Joshua and the nation of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Now, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, (coughs) Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. And they put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I myself be inquired? Should I myself be inquired of at all by them? What did Ezekiel say was their issue? They set up idols in their heart. The things that will cause them to stumble into iniquity. And what is God's response to the prophet? Should I listen to their prayers at all? They have idols in their heart. They've set up those stumbling blocks before them. Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Everyone in the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. God says through the prophet Ezekiel, if you have idols in your heart, if you have set in your heart those things that will cause you to stumble, and you come to me and pray, I'm going to answer you according to the voice of those idols. And maybe you think it's God speaking to you. I've had a number of people tell me at one time or another, the Lord has has told me, That I should get a divorce or that I should leave my husband or I should leave my wife or that I should do one thing or another that the word of God is very clear about. Yet, God spoke to me. Really? Ezekiel says, if you have idols in your heart and you set before yourself that stumbling block that's going to trip you into iniquity, then the voice you're hearing is the voice of your own idols, your own desires. Your own plans. God says you will hear the sound of your idols, not me. That I may seize the house of Israel by their heart because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. In Ezekiel, God wants them to repent, 
<laughs> return and face him. Same things going on with Joshua way back in the beginning. Repent. Turn toward the Lord. Turn away from your gods. The Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey, the people shouted. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in a book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Well, we're reading the book that Joshua wrote in the books of the law. That's the book of Joshua. And then he set up a large stone and he said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So he set up a stone and said, The stone is witness. It reminds me of Jesus walking into Jerusalem, doesn't it? And the Pharisees saying, tell these disciples to be quiet. And the Lord saying, if I told them to be quiet, what would happen? The stones would cry out. Joshua set up this stone and said, this stone heard what you said and what the Lord promised. And it will be a witness before you in that day. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. I love that. Through the leadership of Joshua and that talk he had with the leaders in chapter 23 and this, this, this talk he had with the people, it said not only did they walk with the Lord all the days of his life, but all the days of the elders who he had spoke to who outlived them. Through all that time, they walked. They did... Uh, what they promised in, in the book here. But <laughs> the day came when a Pharaoh was on the scene that didn't know Joseph. What was it that God told the nation of Israel to make sure they did? He said, teach your children diligently the things God's done. Speak to them when you walk and when you sit and when you pass by the way. Spend time passing on to your children the things that God has done in your life, your father's life, your father's fathers, all these things that they studied. Deuteronomy chapter 6 lays that out. So in order for there to come a, a generation that didn't understand, it means the generation before didn't fulfill their purpose. And pass on to the children what was necessary so that they would walk with the Lord. Now it says in verse 32, The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of the ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance to the children of Joseph. Verse 32 might seem out of place, but it's a fulfillment of prophecy fulfillment of a promise that God made and a statement of faith upon Joseph who 
believed that God would take the children of Israel to the promised land to the point that he said, take my bones with you when you go. And they took his bones and they laid them to rest in Israel. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him <coughs> excuse me, in the mountains of Ephraim. So the leadership is, is gone. Phinehas, the high priest, is died. Or uh, Eleazar and Phinehas is going to take over. Joshua is dead, but you notice that God didn't have Joshua appoint uh, a leader to take over. And I think as we enter into the time of the judges, which is roughly 400 years of ups and downs and a miserable time in the history of the nation of Israel, we come to a time where God's going to send deliverers, but the intent was that the Lord God would be their king and they would be his people. But as we come to Judges, we will read, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what they wanted to do and weren't fulfilling the promise that this generation made to Joshua. The warning for us is clear. We've got to pass on. The relationship that we experience with God, we've got to pass that on to our kids, to our grandkids, to the kids that don't have parents who come to church. That's why children's ministry is so vital to be a part of. Because some of them kids are going to go home to parents that don't know Jesus and are never going to say one word about it. So we shoulder the burden of trying to make sure that they have an opportunity to hear. An opportunity to connect with God. That's why VBS is so important. I forget, 50, I think 55 was our average. Kids walked through the door and heard about Jesus and heard about making a decision for the Lord and and heard about the things that he did. And that's important that we take that role and do it. Because our generation isn't okay. Just in case you thought it was. I thought I'd let you know. We're not doing alright. What's the next generation going to be like? We need to make sure we fulfill those things that God wants us to fulfill. And, and for our kids, be like Joshua. Choose this day who you will serve. But as far as I'm concerned, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to go after Him with a whole heart. Love Him, cling to Him, reject the world, and keep His word. And we'll have good success. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You for the opportunity that You give us. As we come before You, God, we thank You for... Just an opportunity, God, to study your word and to make application of your word in our life. Lord, I pray, God, that <coughs> would not just be stories that we study, but that we would make that application, that we would realize 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us all these things happen to them for our admonition, for our learning, that we might choose to turn our eyes upon Jesus to look full in his beautiful face and watch the things of this earth just fade away, grow strangely dim 
and the light of his beauty and grace. God, help us to keep our eyes focused on that which truly matters. And keep us, Lord God, in the fight from now till we see you face to face that we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God, we desire to honor you and to glorify you in what we do. We ask your blessing now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a word of worship. I invite you to hang out and worship with us. We'll meet out in the foyer for, for fellowship. God bless you guys and go in peace.